it's Liz Kelly, and welcome to the Ringer Podcast Network. NFL preseason is in full swing, and the Ringer NFL show is now airing four shows each week, covering the latest news stories, training camp updates, fantasy football advice, and more. On the site, Robert Mays, Kevin Clark, and Danny Kelly offer up their insight on the 2019 season as we inch closer to kickoff. You can read their pieces on TheRinger.com, and you can listen and subscribe to The Ringer NFL Show on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. David, the Democrats are exactly one candidate away from having a two-night debate next month instead of a one-night debate. What I want to know is, as an official debate reactor, how badly do you want the Democrats to debate for only one night. <laughs> oh my gosh. Very badly? I don't know if that that's not a very funny answer. Listen, I, I know that our electoral process, I know is fickle. I know that our elect our electorate in particular is fickle and and we choose not to, you know, spend too much time talking about that cuz these are issues that really matter that are being discussed and and uh you know, the, the future of our country is, is a really important thing. But I guarantee you that if Tom Steyer were running Facebook ads that said that instead of saying donate to me, said donate a dollar and the Democratic debate will only be one night, then that, uh, I think that side of the argument would win. <laughs> he would double his he would double his money. And by the way, can I add a, a little note here? The second night, the potential second night of the Democratic debate is a Friday. It's a Friday night. So. One, what what Democrat wants to be stuck on Friday night television, getting not oh nearly God. as much attention? And what debate podcaster wants to be stuck at home on Friday night reacting to a debate? That is, it's a crime against a lot of people. It really would be. Yeah. It feels like the, the, the difference between who gets to appear on Thursday and Friday in that situation is a pretty significant d- difference. <laughs> we are the one night only of media podcasts. This is the Press Box, a part of the <laughs> Ringer Podcast Network. Hello, media consumers, Brian Curtis and David Shoemaker here. Tons to get to today. We are going to talk about a very dumb argument about how and when to quote Cleveland Browns quarterback Baker Mayfield. We've got the weekend Donald Trump, you know, buying Greenland, being the king of Israel, that sort of thing. We've got the language of sports writers, the fall of Chuck Woolery and mail from listeners like you. But David, I want to start by talking to you about the latest news from the 2020 Democratic race. Would you like to begin by listening to Joe Biden's first Iowa television ad? Would I? I thought you might. This is the commercial team Biden calls Bones. We know in our bones this election is different. The stakes are higher. The threat more serious. We have to beat Donald Trump. And all the polls agree Joe Biden is the strongest Democrat to do the job. No one is more qualified. For eight years, President Obama and Vice President Biden were an administration America could be proud of. Our allies could trust and our kids could look up to. Together, they worked to save the American economy, to pass the historic Affordable Care Act, protecting over 100 million Americans with pre-existing conditions. Now, Joe Biden is running for president with a plan for America's future. To build on Obamacare, not scrap it. To make a record investment in America's schools. To lead the world on climate. To rebuild our alliances. Most of all, he'll restore the soul of a nation. Battered by an erratic, vicious, bullying president. Strong, steady, stable leadership. Biden. 
president. I'm Joe Biden, and I approve this message. So my question for you, David, is do you approve this message <laughs> in terms of will it work? Is that, is that Kevin Conroy? Who was doing that? Who was that voiceover? It's it was like the 90s movie trailer guy. I know. It was very strange. That was like, it, it sounded at first like, I mean, I spent the first 15 seconds trying to figure out why Joe Biden sounded funny. And then it <laughs> turned out to not be Joe Biden, um, which is a wild reveal, I guess. Um, yeah. I mean, that was... That was I don't know I don't what am I what am I supposed to say here How excited should I be Has the react I, That's literally the first time I've heard it Is it has, have people Do people think it's good Well I think it's very Biden Whether it's good or not yeah. I mean he, this is him giving the giant bear hug to Barack Obama And when right. you see the when you see the pictures of this I mean it's just How many shots of me and Obama working hard on the issues Can I stick into a minute and a half There's that There's you know, him kind of sliding around all the tricky issues in this Democratic primary. I'm going to build on Obamacare, even mm-hmm. if I have one of the less ambitious healthcare plans out there. I'm going to lead on climate, even if I have one of the less ambitious climate plans out there. And again, all about electability. I'm the guy who can beat Donald Trump. This is the only thing that should matter to you, Democratic voters. So, you know, as a distillation of the grounds he's trying to win this nomination on, I think it's, it's, it's pretty much 100%. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, is it, I, I'm not sure. Yeah, I think you're right. I mean, he's, he sort of called his shot. I mean, he's trying to set the terms for the debate. I'm not, I'm not sure if he's going to have the, you know, if, if he's going to be able to, to set the terms for the next, you know, primary debate i'm not sure he's going to set the terms for the way that people address this campaign um yeah i mean i thought i mean it it was it was it was uh, i think in so much as it evokes things that we whether it's like the old movie guy uh like chris said or or you know (laughs) it evokes commercials of bygone years i guess that's good right it's comfortable it feels like it feels presidential it feels um it feels like he's like you know he's making sort of an affirmative choice to be kind of comfortable and confident. And that's, that's the, I think the best mode for, for Biden, at least right now. A couple of people pointed out that essentially it's a general election message. He's kind of skipping the democratic primary altogether, uh, mm-hmm. not getting into the weeds on that at all. Not drawing really any policy distinctions as he of course doesn't want to do because he tends to come out on the short end of that stick. If the message, the implicit message that you should ignore whatever you're uncomfortable with about Biden and vote for him because he can beat Donald Trump wasn't out there enough. Let us listen to Jill Biden, Joe's wife, come out and say this explicitly in New Hampshire. Wow. So, yes, you know, I, you know, your candidate might be better on, I don't know, health care than Joe is. But you've got to look at who's going to win this election. And maybe you have to swallow a little bit and say, okay, I sort of personally like so-and-so better. But your bottom line has to be that we have to beat Trump. So there it is. Uh, The new Fox poll that came out, conducted August 11th through 13th, showed all four of the top Democratic contenders beating Trump fairly handily. In fact, Biden's numbers weren't all that different from Bernie Sanders' numbers. But... A CNN poll this week, and I'm stealing a lot of this from Steve Kornacki's uh, roundup, but a CNN poll this week said 
when it asked Democrats, what is more important in a nominee? 54% says has a strong chance of beating Trump. 39% said shares my position on major issues. <laughs> so, so Joe, Joe Biden is the candidate for that poll. Sure. Has a strong chance of beating Trump, but uh, shares my position on major issues. Yeah, yeah sure. Yeah, okay, maybe. Less. Um, I also like this tweet from David Axelrod, who said, talking about, it says, electability, read Trump, partnership with Obama, empathy and character. This is what Joe Biden is selling, and his success ultimately will be, depend on his ability to deliver the message, which is a good reminder. It's a lot easier for him to deliver the message in a commercial than it has been so far for him to deliver it at a live debate. Yeah, I think that that's about what we expect, right? I mean, I, I guess, we, I guess we, you know, we're all a little bit surprised or, you know, there's some level of surprise that his debate performances haven't been uh, as good as maybe you remembered them being um, when he was running for V. But but yeah, I mean, I think that he's this is a very conservative message. Uh, I mean, campaign platform, you know, mm-hmm. I mean, it's it's, he's, it's it's about it's about the past. It's about comfort, you know, and and um, and and certainly that's an argument that's sort of always going to be easier to make from, you know, the recording studio. Um with multiple takes and and just like sort of the, you know the voiceover and the and the soundtrack and everything else, it's it's easy to evoke that sort of nostalgia. Um, I understand why if you're the Joe Biden campaign, you make the case that you're electable, more electable than the others. But you know, I mean, it's a, it's an affirmative case for a campaign, and it's maybe his best argument. But you know, Cory Booker's out there making the case that that you know he shouldn't get so far you know get too far we shouldn't get too far ahead of ourselves elizabeth warren saying the same thing i think they're both out in california making this argument and i think that um you know in a democratic stronghold like that it makes sense i mean listen it may be that joe biden you know with the with the statistical breakdown is is much more electable or somewhat more electable than some of the people he's running against but i just feel like with a few you know i mean if you if you look at all the front runners you know, we've seen how elections have gone over the past four, eight, 12, 16 years. I mean, it, it's we're talking about a vanishingly small margin of error between these different candidates. And I think that it's just to disqualify anybody in the primary this early based on some notion of future electability, I think is is pretty wild. You used the word comfort earlier. Can we call Joe Biden the comfort food candidate? And yeah. not and I'm not talking about like the artisanal hipster comfort food where you like mix a local cheese in with that macaroni. I mean like the old country buffet comfort food. Like this is this this is like 8.99 all you can eat candidacy right here. You're just going to you we we want you we want to appeal on the most basic level of comfort. Like you just going to come in here and sit down and just 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 it's going to be right down the middle. I mean nothing new here. No no new no weird foods, nothing nothing strange. That is the Joe Biden candidacy to me at this moment. Yeah, uh, I think David, that's right. David, we've got some news from the next Democratic debate, which is set for September 12th in Houston. Uh, Julian Castro is in the debate. And almost in is Tom Steyer, the billionaire philanthropist and impeachment advocate. And Tom Steyer is almost in because he figured out how to hack the debates. What he did was buy $3.5 million worth of digital ads, according to OpenSecrets.org, and then asked people through those ads to donate $1 to his campaign. Because one of the Democratic National Committee's criteria for getting into the debate is 130,000 different donors. The DNC was thinking that'd be a sign that people actually like you, whereas Tom Steyer changed it to 
It's a sign that I'm rich enough to convince people to give me a dollar. That was the that <laughs> was the whole thing. A rival campaign tells the Atlantic's Edward Isaac Devere, quote, this amounts to a wealth transfer between Tom Steyer and Mark Zuckerberg, which I think is pretty good. Um, mm-hmm. Here's the other thing that's broken about the DNC debate process, because if Steyer gets in, it's not just setting up an extra podium at Texas Southern University. If he gets in, which means he's going to hit 2% in one more poll this week, we are once again going to split the Democratic field into two debates over two nights. (laughs) And what if that somehow results in Biden and Elizabeth Warren being in separate debates again? So we don't get the contrast and the debate we actually want, (laughs) but get everything ladled out over two nights again. Oh my gosh. I, I'm, not, I'm not just saying this as somebody who's milking this for content. That is genuinely frustrating. Yeah. And genuinely weird. And But I don't really have a solution for it because I don't know. I understand the DNC was trying to measure, trying to be scrupulously fair and measure who gets into these debates. Right. And I don't have a great plan of how they should have done it otherwise. Yeah, I mean, obviously, it's 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 a reaction to the can the the last campaign when Bernie Sanders was perceived to be or was uh, greatly disadvantaged by um, the DNC's system, um, and and yeah, I mean, it's a it's a it is they they were forced to, and it was the right thing to do to kind of work in with an abundance of caution um, to go in the opposite direction. But I I don't know. I mean. It, it does seem weird that that Tom Steyer or any candidate at this point is basically campaigning not for a viable shot at the presidency, but for, I mean, the, like the most direct result is to split the debate up over two nights. It's that seems like um, I don't. It's it's gonna. I mean, it, that's how everyone's gonna perceive it, and it feels like at the at a bare minimum, if it's t- if we're talking about one candidate then right. the stake, I mean, you, you should retract those stakes, right? I mean, if there's some way to say like, no matter <laughs> whether or not Steyer gets in, uh, the debate's going to be one night or whether or not he gets in, it's going to be two nights, but just like to have it dragging up to this point, and then, and now we're just going to be counting Facebook impressions to see whether or not, um, you know, we have one night or two to, to watch these people talk to each other. Um, it just seems so silly. Jay Inslee. The Washington governor who's running on a kind of single platform climate change bit has exited the presidential race. Yes, we saw the Jay Outsley overworked Twitter jokes. Also, Jay Walking. Thank you very much for sending mm. those in. I know. Inslee is running for a third term as Washington governor. And John Hickenlooper, David, America's favorite banjo player, who had a short, dismal presidential campaign, is in the Colorado Senate race. He also has a new ad. And let me do a little scene setting for you. While he's saying all this stuff, Hick and Looper is playing pool. He is playing pool. Maybe in the brew pub he found it. Listen up. When they play games in Washington, D.C., Coloradans take the hit. Trying to knock out protections for pre-existing conditions, that could be devastating for hundreds of thousands of Coloradans. Playing games while prescription drug prices soar, that's costing people more than they can afford. And don't get me started on the shots they're taking at public lands, leaving them to developers instead of sportsmen. I don't think Cory Gardner understands that the games he's playing with Donald Trump and Mitch McConnell are hurting the people of Colorado. 
we ought to be working together to move this country forward and stop the political nonsense. We're running out of time to confront climate change. We've got to help families who are crushed by prescription drug costs. And everybody ought to have a shot at building a better future. I know we can do that. Look, I'm a straight shooter. I've always said Washington was a lousy place for a guy like me who wants to get things done. But this is no time to walk away from the table. I know changing Washington is hard, but I want to give it a shot. I'm not done fighting for the people of Colorado. I'm John Hickenlooper, candidate for United States Senate. I approve this message, and I hope you'll join me in this campaign. Do we think he got enough billiards puns in there? Really working that motif. Oh my gosh, that was amazing. That was like, I feel like we were coming back from the commercials and to a new episode of Sons of Anarchy for about for the past 15 minutes. That was incredible <laughs> stuff there. First of all, I want to take exception with America's favorite banjo player. I mean, I don't know if we're if we if Earl Scruggs has been disqualified oh. because he's dead, but come on, Steve Martin is still out there. He's a great. Oh. He, he's, he, I mean, not strictly a banjo player, but he's a great banjo. Player. We're anyway, all, we're all we're all competing for number two. Um. Yeah, Roy Clark. He's still out there somewhere. The uh. The uh. I mean, that was. I don't know. I mean, I guess it's it seems weird. Maybe he doesn't see that as a sort of quick rebranding, but that's I that's how I read it. Um maybe he needs that. Maybe that's his, maybe that's how he's known in Colorado. Maybe he's just a, you know, a hard driving southern fried PI or whatever that music's supposed to evoke. <laughs> but the, uh, but yeah, I mean, listen, I hope he wins. He's like I said, he's good for that state and and uh and I think this is a good slot for him. You and I, David, have been collecting failed candidate busts. Uh, you know, the candidate thinks they're going to unveil a big line and then it's just crickets. The yeah. leader in the clubhouse is still Bill de Blasio confusing Dr. Jekyll and Mr. Hyde in an attack on Biden about the Hyde Amendment. But yes. uh, we have a new challenger. It is Amy Klobuchar. On August 16th, she tweeted this. The difference between Donald Trump and Greenland? Greenland is not for sale. That's um <laughs> did not go viral. Tough, oh tough look. Uh, David, speaking of long shots, were you aware that Massachusetts Congressman Seth Moulton is still running for president? Uh, dimly aware, yes. Ah, good word. Because according to Stephen Shepard over at Politico, he says with a new Fox News poll just out, Seth Moulton has now registered 0% in all of the 38 qualifying polls being used by the DNC for debate eligibility. He is oh a perfect O for 38. And I mean, O zero. people do not, <laughs> do not approve. Uh, speaking of long shots, how about Ohio Congressman Tim Ryan? This has got to be the most heartrending tweet of the campaign. Lady Gaga tweeted about depression, made, made a joke, said, I'm Italian. Like I don't get depressed, I guess. Uh, Tim Ryan slid into her replies and said, this isn't a tweet to go viral or seek an endorsement. I'd love an opportunity to speak with you in regards to social and emotional learning in our schools, addressing our country's growing anxiety and stress. Uh, no word on if Lady Gaga has accepted the Tim Ryan Summit. And finally, David, do we care that the Washington Post theater critic Peter Marks is reviewing the performances of the Democratic candidates? 
This sounds like a really good uh, pitch in the editorial board um, that should have never made it of the editorial board. But go on. Tell me what he has to say. Let me sample uh, a little bit of Marx on Elizabeth Warren. She enters in an ordinary blouse and slacks, not a toga. And yet, when Senator Elizabeth Warren takes the stage of a music hall in this sweltering Sunbelt City, it is with a command of the occasion that might have Julius Caesar's Mark Antony taking notes. The vocal modulation, the oratorical rhythm, the instinct for a good story. She's got the ingredients for a magnetic performance, and she delivers. When Warren speaks, you lean in. Um, so I know <laughs> the normal complaint is that political writers are doing theater criticism, right? That's, mm-hmm. that's the thing we people say all the time. After reading that, I'm ready to bring back the political writers to do theater criticism. Never have I wanted amateur theater criticism more than I do now. It's okay. All is forgiven. Just come back. We just, let's let the theater critic go back to the back to the stage. Uh, there are yeah, lots of Julius Caesar references in that piece, by the way. Just, just it just seems very strange. It just seems very strange to inf- to find a new platform from which to inject a value judgment or to inject a, like a, 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 like a very personal opinion onto a contest that is entirely based upon personal opinions. Right. I mean, it's like if, if he were going with like advanced metrics here, I, I would be very interested. You know, if he, if he, if he actually compared her, uh, somehow, somehow, you know, scientifically to actors, to speakers or something, there might be some point of interest there, but no, no, I don't need, I don't need him to know that when Warren speaks, you lean in. That's either true for you or it's not. And in this case, if you don't like Elizabeth Warren, it doesn't matter what the critic says. Somebody should tell an advanced metrics guy to start a political site. That would be something. Can we get the, can we get that going? All right, David, time for the overworked Twitter joke of the week, where we celebrate a gag that was so obvious that all of media Twitter made it at exactly the same time. Send your nominees to at the press box pod where they are always gratefully received. Interesting week on the overworked Twitter desk because there was a lot of consensus. Jeff Passan, baseball writer and scoop meister over at ESPN tweets. This the use of gas station, sexual enhancement pills in baseball is so prevalent that MLB sent out a memo warning players. Their use could lead to positive PED tests. So gas station, sexual enhancement pills and baseball. I think I know where this is going. Yeah, it was an overworked Twitter joke to write. The balls are juiced. (laughs) Thanks to Josh Sandin, Andrew Joe Potter and Ryan Burns for that one. Nikki Haley, former Trump ambassador to the United Nations and always a prospective candidate for something or other, was apparently worried people thought she was trying to push out Mike Pence and becomes and become Trump's running mate. And so she got on Twitter to preemptively declare she wasn't. Uh, It was an overworked Twitter joke to set it up like this. No one, colon, literally not a soul, colon, Nikki Haley, colon. Enough of the false rumors. Vice President Pence has been a dear friend of mine for years, et cetera, et cetera. Thanks to Ryan Hand, number one boy and Aaron Schaefer, and to Ariel Edwards-Levy, who noticed it originally. We need to come up with a name for this moment in 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 the electoral news cycle where every four years, or I guess every eight years, there's some conversation about getting rid of the vice president and reappointing some and point, appointing somebody else for the for electoral purposes. It's the like best. This, story. It's it's never true. It's never going to be true. It would it would signal such great calamity and catastrophe inside the campaign that it would it would. I mean, there's no positive version of it, and yet we always talk about it. Somebody always brings it up. It was Hillary for Biden, right? In yeah, 2012. Yeah, I think Am so. Am I remembering right? Yeah. 
Yeah, she was going to come in and save the day. This one from the Canadian police blotter, David. Ontario police search for suspects after $187,000 worth of cheese goes missing. $187,000 worth of cheese. It was an overworked Twitter joke to write, what kind of monster does something like this? Uh, Thanks to Library Ames. I like that one. And finally, this comes to us from Jeff Hoffman, who found this pun in a roundup compiled by HuffPost Josie Harvey. Josie Harvey reports, quote, this week, a team of scientists produced a delicious loaf of sourdough bread using 4,500-year-old yeast preserved from ancient Egypt. A delicious loaf of sourdough bread using 4,500-year-old yeast from ancient Egypt. It was an overworked Twitter joke to write, the yummy returns. <laughs> the yummy returns. If you glanced at an inspiring story of Egyptology and microbiology, and thought of a Brendan Fraser vehicle, congrats. You made the overworked Twitter joke of the week. (laughs) All right, David, before we move on, let's take a quick break. Today's episode is brought to you by Luminary, a new podcast subscription service with some of the best content around. I'm excited about Luminary because it's the only place you can listen to the newest show on the Ringer Network, Break Stuff, the story of Woodstock 1999. This is definitely a podcast you can't miss. Break Stuff, the story of Woodstock 99, is about a music festival that took place in upstate New York that became a social experiment. There were riots, looting, and numerous assaults. Along with Woodstock 99, Luminary gives you access to a bunch of other original shows from innovative, dynamic creators you can't find anywhere else, like the Rewatchables 1999. The Luminary app is free to download in addition to Can't Miss Originals. You can use it to listen to thousands of podcasts, including this one. Whether you're into music, TV and film, comedy, sports, or more, Luminary has the right show for you. Check out Woodstock 99 and so much more only on Luminary. Get your first two months of access to Luminary's premium content for free when you sign up at luminary.link slash pressbox. After that, it's only $7.99 a month. That's luminary.link slash pressbox for two months of free access. Luminary.link slash pressbox. Cancel anytime. Terms apply. Time for the notebook dump, David. And sometimes here on a media podcast, you and I have to talk about dumb things like the controversy involving a quote from Cleveland Browns quarterback, Baker Mayfield that appears in a new GQ profile that was written by Clay Skipper. Skipper and Mayfield were doing an interview at a steakhouse near Cleveland and Mayfield spotting giants, rookie quarterback, Daniel Jones on a nearby television said, I cannot believe the giants took Daniel Jones blows my mind. Mayfield went on to say that a quarterback should win. Daniel Jones had a losing record at Duke where he played his college football. Well, the writer Mike Florio took exception to that. Not with Mayfield saying something in politics, but with Clay Skipper's decision to quote Mayfield saying it. Florio writes, when will non-sports outlets like GQ be criticized for drawing controversial remarks from young, inexperienced players in a casual setting where they often don't realize anything they say can and will be used against them? Florio continues, it's disingenuous in my view for reporters to play that gotcha game treating every word uttered during an encounter with the subject of an interview as fair game and lesson until the subject of the interview utters the magic words off the record. You want me to start here because I got a lot of thoughts about this. Please do. Yeah. At the risk of taking Florio's scolding too seriously. What he's talking about, I think is that sort of casual time you often have with a subject before and after an interview. 
mm-hmm. when the subject is letting you into the house, when there's small talk, and it's not always clear that the subject knows this material could be used in the article. Right. That's interesting. The thing is, that's actually not what happened here. Because according to Skipper's piece, they are sitting down at dinner, he and Mayfield, in a public place. The food has arrived. And Skipper's tape recorder presumably is running this whole time. So what possible expectation could Baker Mayfield have that that line would be stricken from the record? I don't know. No, I, I know. I don't, and I don't think that was even Baker Mayfield's take. I mean, argument against it. I mean, that, that's you're you're absolutely right on that front. The other thing is, and I'll say this as as somebody who does this every once in a while, when you're with a subject in that kind of setting, and you do have those casual moments, sometimes you'll find your subject will say semi dangerous, semi controversial things to you, things you can tell. They don't want in the article. And do you know what they're doing? They are trying to subtly convey to you, hey, I'm a cool guy. Even if I clam up when you turn on that recorder, Brian, I want you to know that I'm a good dude. So when you look at the transcript and I haven't given you anything, you'll like me, right? They're they're working you when when they say that stuff. They're Mm -hmm. taking advantage of the idea that you're not going to use that material. And Florio, I don't think, understands that he thinks this is all naive people blurting things out and the big bad reporter quoting them. No, 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 no. I I think in a lot of these cases, this is the subject working the reporter, just like the reporter is working the subject. Yeah, I think that's right. Um, I mean, I guess I guess if the stakes were some were, were higher at all, I might be more inclined to shed a tear for these, um, you know, naive, ill-equipped professional athletes um, who were being, uh, you know, steered into calam- steered into misadventure by by uh, <laughs> uh, these duplicitous reporters out there. But I mean, come on, e- even if this had been on the the casual walk from the front door to the to the interview table even if this had been you know a, a, an offhanded remark that that should that you know that that might should have been interpreted as being off the record i mean wh- i mean he said he didn't know why the giants drafted daniel jones well i mean literally nobody who read that article has any idea why the dra- giants drafted daniel jones <laughs> i mean he didn't say something controversial here you know yeah. he just it was just something i mean it's not the inclusion of that in the article. I mean, maybe it's, I mean, maybe this is like old man, you know, shout yells at clouds, but like, this is the problem with our news cycle. This is a problem with just like Twitter. This is a problem with the, you know, focus on, on the soundbite or the, you know, the, the hook over content. I mean, over, over, you know, something with actual uh, value, you know, with depth, but I mean, this, this is not that big of a deal. And the reaction to it, makes it seem like a bigger deal than it is. Do you think it would have been bigger news if he said he knew why the Giants drafted Daniel Jones with that pick? For yeah, overall? I know exactly what they were doing. Uh, yeah, <laughs> if, he, if he had a good explanation for it, that would have been fantastic. Can we also take issue with the idea that Baker Mayfield is some naive who doesn't yeah, know exactly. how his controversial remarks play? 
This is the guy who said after a Browns win last year, when I woke up this morning, I was feeling pretty dangerous. Said that at a press conference. Before mm-hmm. a Baylor game when he was in college, he said, you forgot who daddy is. I'm going to have to spank you today. Mm-hmm. <laughs> guy who grabbed his crotch against Kansas while playing at OU. Yeah. Guy who was the Heisman winner and the number one pick and a starting quarterback in the NFL last year. It, it's far more believable to me that Baker Mayfield is human clickbait, like clickbait on purpose. Like yeah. I am cultivating this air of the guy who will throw any pass and say anything. Mm-hmm. And I'm going to throw all this chum into the water and you're going to go get it. That is way, way, way more believable than I said something and I hoped it would be in confidence, but that mean old reporter put it in the article. I mean, come on. I just, I, I don't even get that. I mean, he just, it seems like his whole act is getting attention by kind of pissing people off. I don't think, I mean, I think that there's truth to that. And and again, I mean, you haven't, I mean, I don't know if you want to read Mayfield's, his actual response, but I mean, he he's claiming it was taken out of context, not that it shouldn't have been included at all, right? His idea, what he said is that he, he said, I also said I was surprised that I got drafted number one. So I was expressing general surprise. By the way, that is also in, that thought is also in Clay Skipper's article. Uh-huh. <laughs> so his argument is that I was, I was surprised that anybody got drafted. Okay, well, that's also in the piece. So I don't I don't actually know. He also said this is not what I said, but then provides no evidence this is not what he said. So I really don't know. It sounds to me like it was quoted correctly. Don't have the tape, but it sounds to me like it was just fine. <laughs> I don't I mean this is one of those things where this happens and then reporters start saying quoting Baker Mayfield saying this is not what I said, implying fabulism on the part of the writer. I just think we're right. real careful about that because, you know, it's one of those things where if, if he wants to come out and say, hey, what I meant was this, that's fine. But this idea that, you know, Baker Baker Mayfield coming out and saying, well, this is not what I said, and then has an explanation that doesn't make any sense. It doesn't actually doesn't actually contradict the reporter at all. I just that, that just always makes me mad. By the way, to your point, can we talk about the, the news cycle for a minute? Because I think that that is a really interesting point here. Yeah, there's go a good ahead. argument. There's a good argument that says we should make it. We as a media should make it comfortable for people like Baker Mayfield to tell the truth. That the problem is he can't utter something that is pretty innocuous, or as you said, totally uncontroversial without aggregator media and football media jumping all over it and and you know opinion shows and that kind of thing and turning it into a big thing which is then going to discourage him from ever saying it again. That's that's an interesting point. Here's here's what I'd like to throw out about this. Mike Florio's item scolding the journalistic ethics of this whole exchange. Yeah. Baker Mayfield had his mind blown by the giant selection of Daniel Jones. That's the headline. And it starts with the item. <laughs> <laughs> so so if you think this is ill-gotten by the reporter shouldn't shouldn't you ignore it? Shouldn't you not spread it around? Or are those those clicks so tempting that even in the process of scolding somebody, you want to milk it for all it's worth? Eh, that's funny. It's funny how that worked. Uh, <laughs> news cycle. It's broken. You're right. Uh, the Weekend Trump, David, compiled a few things, and this is necessarily a partial list because we can't go two hours here. But how about we start with Greenland? This whole bit started on August oh 15th gosh. with a piece in the Wall Street Journal 
which had four co-authors, which reported that Trump had mused about buying Greenland, which is a semi-autonomous part of Denmark. By the way, journalistic adjective of the week is semi-autonomous. That was pulled out of the uh, pulled out of the dictionary. I, when I first saw this, I thought this is believable, but Trump will officially deny it or laugh it off. Not quite. On Sunday, right. Trump called it essentially a large real estate deal. On Monday, he tweeted a picture of a giant gold building <laughs> that had been superimposed on an island, which is apparently Greenland. The people of Denmark were aghast. The Danish prime minister said, Greenland is not Danish. Greenland belongs to Greenland. I hope, I strongly hope this is not meant seriously. Uh, a former finance minister wrote total chaos and called it a diplomatic crisis. Trump then canceled a state visit to Denmark, citing Denmark's lack of interest in selling Greenland as the reason. And on the White House lawn, he laid into the Danish PM, Meta Fredriksen. I think it's a good idea because uh, Denmark is losing $700 million a year with it. It doesn't do them any good, but all they had to do is say, no, we'd rather not do that or we'd rather not talk about it. Don't say what an absurd idea that is. She's not talking to me. Excuse me. She's not talking to me. She's talking to the United States of America. You don't talk to the United States that way, at least under me. (laughs) <laughs> okay you're right i mean this it sounded like when it when it first when this news item about trump being interested in greenland first came up it did sound like plausible but so laughable that i mean i, I didn't even think it was going to merit a response um i you know it's just it's just you know it's punchline fodder but it's not it didn't seem like it was real the fact that not only was it real but that it immediately materialized as a significant going concern was just sort of bracing um and the fact that you would you know take offense to the reaction to be so confused by it to cancel your uh, you know bilateral meeting with denmark because that's not on the table i mean it really feels like i don't know i don't want to over psycho i don't want to armchair psychoanalyze the guy but it it does (laughs) feel like he's like looking for he's like looking for the he just trying to like He's like somebody who didn't show up for for like for class all semester and is just trying to like get like you know get a passing grade because he does one big project at the end or something, right? I mean, he's looking for that one thing that he's going to be positively remembered by, and this you know he knows real estate. This this seems like something manageable for him. I don't know. It just it's it just it's really weird and sad. This is all best understood in tandem with the other stuff that happened this week. Trump on Twitter quoted Wayne Allen Root, who is a birther and Newsmax host, as saying, quote, the Jewish people in Israel love him like he's the king of Israel. They love him like he is the second coming of God. Uh, On Tuesday, Trump said of American Jews, quote, if you vote for a Democrat, you're being disloyal to Jewish people and you're being very disloyal to Israel. On Wednesday, not done yet, Trump looked skyward from the White House lawn and said this about his trade war with China. Somebody had to do it. I am the chosen one. Somebody had to do it. So I'm taking on China. I'm taking on China on trade. And you know what? We're winning. So just in case you don't think he was taking that tweet from uh, David Allen Root seriously, uh, he apparently <laughs> internalized it, right? Right. Wayne Allen Root. Want to stand Wayne up Allen Root, sorry. Newsmax host, David. Don't get your Newsmax host confused. Um, but I like this tweet from Benji Sutherland of NBC. I, I, I don't want us to say it's, it's hard for us to sit here and say, boy, has Trump really gone, gone, gone off this time? Cause what does that do? 
But Benji Silent of NBC had a good idea, which he said there may there has maybe been too much speculation about what a minor bump in the economy might do to the president's poll numbers and not enough about what it might do to his sense of self and day-to-day behavior. And I think that's exactly right. Mm-hmm. If we do begin to nose into a recession, what will he do? What will, because all this feels like grasping around, as you say, for that assignment at the end of the semester that shows you did something. Mm-hmm. And I just sort of wonder what it's going to be if the, if the economy tanks. Oh, you know, I, I have, I just, if buying Greenland is on the table, I have no idea what the, what, what the other options are. I really don't. Yeah. Um, I mean, it's not <laughs> on the table is a funny way to put it. Cause it, cause the, yeah, the implication is that, I mean, I mean, it's not on the table, right? It's on the table only in Trump's mind. So if something mind, that's yes. not, if something that's off the table is on the table, then yes, that's where we are. I mean, that, that, that's, I guess that's, <laughs> I think that there's this sort of, uh, like every election cycle, there's this, the, the economy, the, you know, the, the meta narrative of the economy is always at the forefront. And, um, you know, it's always, it, people always talk about how, you know, if the economy kind of hits this point or is in such and such shape, then basically you're, you know, as a president, you don't get reelected or you automatically get reelected. Right. It seems like, like uh, the the campaign almost becomes a formality when we're having discussions about economic performance, and in that context, Trump spinning out makes a lot of sense. You know, I mean, it's sort of it's sort of um, it seems on it's you know it's it's maybe overdoing it, but it's it's a common refrain. It feels like every four years that it's just like, why do we even cast votes? Why don't we just like look at the look at the how the economy's doing, right? But if I mean if if it's that if it's that much of a given, then you know I can understand why Trump would be like flipping out, grasping at straws, whatever you want to say. David, I want to talk to you about the language of sports writers. Okay, longtime passion of mine. Dallas Cowboys signed a linebacker named Jalen Smith to a contract extension this week, and that's not all that important in the grand scheme. Except David, it was a moment to savor the mandatory adjectives sports writers must use whenever any player signs a contract extension, we must call it a lucrative extension. <laughs> a, signed a lucrative extension. That is the only the only word. It's never rich. Uh, it's never well-moneyed. It's a lucrative extension. Mm-hmm. By the way, I put that on Twitter and Charlie Pierce, our old pal, tweets back because complete bullshit that will never be paid in full is bad for the rhythm of the sentence. Which is <laughs> true. It is also true, David, when sports writers... Uh, right about this sort of thing that the extension was given to the player by a deep pocketed owner, <laughs> a, a, a deep pocketed owner, especially if there's a Clipper story. It's always a deep pocketed owner. Yes. And um, I like this response from Adam Zialanka, who covers hockey over at the Washington times. He said, my pet peeve in the sports contract department is when folks say a player is getting a deal to the tune of $40 million. I oh pull out my gosh. hair. Where did that, and, and he's so right, and I wish I thought of that. Did that come from like the big band era of sports writing or something? <laughs> to the tune of? Why why did we start doing that? That's a great question. I have no idea. I mean, I think the, the practical answer is you do it because other people have done it before you. Yeah, but I just want, I, I, I want to know who the, uh, who originated that. To the tune of 40 million. It's. It's very funny. Department of Fallen Idols, David. I woke up this week on the West Coast here, and the number one trending 
Twitter topic in the Twitter power rankings was Chuck Woolery, who had wandered into the Democrats of the real racist zone. Oh, I'm not even no. getting, I'm not even read the tweet. Did you see this? I uh, know. I this, this is the first time hearing it. The, the first sentence is all caps. Racism has nothing to do with race. Which is news to a lot of people. Racism is the progressive left crying out for attention, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. Um, Chuck Woolery for quite a while now has been a conservative guy on Twitter and is the host of something called Blunt Force Truth, which is a podcast, (laughs) I think. But during our childhood, he was the host of a beloved game show, Love Connection. If you're too young, please take a moment to enjoy 20 seconds of Love Connection. He claims that his cat helps him uh, score points with his dates. He says that every time he meets a woman, he always notices the uh, same thing first. Please welcome Don Shasha. That's, that is a strange last... A couple of things there for you youngins. One was that kind of music played in every waiting room in America in the 80s. That was just kind of like <laughs> our, our kind of ambient sound of uh, waiting rooms and such. And number two, David, do you remember that television gimmick where words came across the screen and you heard like the noise of the typewriter keys? Oh yeah. That was a very eighties thing too. I love that. Love that. I don't don't know about you, but I, you know, it's like I'm taking Chuck Woolery's fall into whatever this is harder than like John Voight's or James Woods's. Cause that dude was awesome. That guy was like a game show host. I mean, he, there were a lot of great game show hosts in the eighties. I'm not sure anyone looked and sounded more like a game show host than Chuck Woolery. No one, he had an amazing ability and maybe it was cause he was so like tall and, and he had, you know, I mean, mm-hmm. link and lanky is not great, but he was, he, no, that's right. I think he was, but lanky. he could, he could sort of fold himself on top of the, the host podium in a way that like you or I would get into a Barca lounger or something like he could, he could make himself just look so <laughs> physically comfortable like he's just like leaning back and having a cigarette when he's like conducting his mc duties which i think was just part of the cool that came with being chuck woolery absolutely and like and and love connection in its day was like match.com and 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 tinder before before they existed I and mean, that was as oh, close yeah. as we got in the 80s like you, you you had a date with somebody who who you just watched a video of that's i think what it was <laughs> And then you were going to come back and you're going to come back and do it. I feel like we're talking about penny postcards here, but we're going to, <laughs> we're going to come back in two and two, as he used to say, and find out how the date went. What a, what a, what a oh, strange yeah, two and descent. Two. two and two. We'll be back in two and two. And he'd flip his hand around. What a strange descent for Chuck Woolery. When I was, you know, this back when I was a kid, I used to write to celebrities and ask for autographed pictures from our, from our, oh, homes I remember Fort, very well. Yeah. Fort Worth, Texas. I just had this obsession with, autographs and celebrity and everything. And I wrote a note to Chuck Woolery and he sent me back an eight by 10 that said, Brian, hope you make a love connection. Chuck Woolery, which I, I still have somewhere <laughs> now. I don't know what I'm going to do with that picture. Now Uh listener mail, David, one note about our discussion earlier in the week about Deadspin uh, and geo media's Jim Spanfeller, who is now monkeying around with the site. I said Spanfeller was from the content farm era of Forbes.com. I have been advised that is not correct. He is from the shameless slideshow era of Forbes.com. <laughs> I regret the error. Oh my gosh. Can I, can I, I don't know if, I don't know if this is, it bears mention, but I, I have very fond memories of your days 
working on the at the launch of um, the Daily Beast because mm-hmm. every time every time we would get into a conversation with one of your coworkers or just anybody who was sort of peripheral to that to that moment in publishing and in, in online publishing, everybody you know of, of our generation or whatever has our has the has our dream, right? I'm gonna. I'm going to start my own website. I'm going to, it's going to be so much better than the one I'm working at. It's I'm going to reinvent how the internet works. Literally everybody that we talked to in that era had some, had like the one thing they really wanted to do on, if they had their own website, which is like, I just want to cover sports and politics, but like, you know, it, it's going to come from the point of view of an alien or something like that. But they would always addend to the, had there always be an addendum on the end where they would say, and also slideshows because at that <laughs> moment in time, at that moment in time, it was all the one thing that everybody knew for sure about online publishing is that slideshows how you made money. Yes. Yes. And that was the one thing that you had to do. Yeah. You absolutely had to do. I remember we had an early one at the Daily Beast that was like the spouses of Davos or their <laughs> oh, wives and girlfriends of Davos. I can't remember what it was. I'll, I'll try to look for it. I cannot immediately find it. But I remember Paul Krugman tweeted about it. Like, this is the end of the world that this is happening. <laughs> He was probably right. Um, from the world of peak newsletter, David, Joe Seastack, who was also running for president, in case you've forgotten, Joe Seastack sure. from Pennsylvania, has a newsletter called Cup of Joe. Cup of Joe. Oh. Our friend Chris Solentrop sent that to us. He, um, That was also the name of Joe Theismann's column in the early days of ESPN, Cup of Joe. I don't know if he got him <laughs> to write for it. I've also got a music up, update for you. I went to a Gin Blossoms concert last week. You might have heard about this. Uh, yeah, I heard something about this. I'm, I'm very excited to hear the story. Or at the, it was at the Pacific Amphitheater in Costa Mesa here in Orange County. An amazing night. I was, um, thanks to the kindness of the Gin Blossoms, my wife and I were ushered backstage to take a picture with the band, which is, was just incredible, and meet the band, the official band of the Press Box. Uh, that was incredibly exciting. Then we went out and they did a whole show. They did all the, they did all the old hits. They played uh, mixed in Tom Petty's, even the losers is kind of a, kind of a curveball in there. Robin Wilson, who is the lead singer came out and said, uh, between songs, he said, I think the last time we were at this arena, uh, for a show was in 1993 with UB40. And oh, wow. there was a big, there was a big laugh, but I looked it up and they did open for UB40 in the nineties. So. <laughs> that, might, that might have actually been true. Uh, wow. So that was amazing. The only other reaction I have is I, I, like I said, we took a picture and I put it up on Twitter and put it on my Instagram page. And one of the first comments was, wow, the gin blossoms got to meet Woj. So that was uh, <laughs> kind of funny. Mm. I also got a note here from Pickle Jar Hero who says we should rename the guess the pun segment as Davey Get Your Pun. Oh no. Oh yeah. I'd also be okay with Davy's got a pun. But um Oh no. And speaking of which, it's time for the David Shoemaker guesses the strain pun headline segment. Tuesday's winner, Pasta La Vista. Pasta oh, La Vista. No. This one came to us from Matthew Ganson, Cal O'Boyle, Corey Wright, and Rabbi Howard Tillman. These are all people who sent this in. It's the inside headline on an article from the Toronto Star about butter sculpting. Butter sculpting. I think of this as an Iowa State Fair thing, but apparently butter sculpting knows no borders. The reporter, Kenyon Wallace, wrote a very funny piece about how butter sculptors use frames 
to make their sculptures. They're not just starting with a big block of butter and chipping away. There's actually a frame in there that's that they cover with butter, which apparently lets you make more elaborate creations. And some people are scandalized by this because they did not know there was a frame inside the butter sculpture. Anyway, the angle here, David, is how difficult butter sculpting is, how tricky it is, how you must be precise in your butter sculpting. What was the Toronto Star's strained mm-hmm. pun headline? Um, uh, I feel like it's always one degree. I mean, I have no idea. I feel like we're always one degree off. So I'm I'm thinking dairy, but I, I mean, I literally, um, but butter is better. Um, I mean, but that wasn't supposed to be it, I guess. Uh, <laughs> butter... Yeah. Butter both sides or butter. What is that? But bread and butter. Um, uh, like it's I how said, it's so difficult. The difficulty of butter. Well, focus on the precision. You don't. You don't want to make a mistake when you're sculpting butter. Therefore, there is. Uh, it's careful precision. Uh, an art to it. Uh, mm-hmm. uh, you you don't uh, want to make a mistake. Marge. Oh no. <laughs> <laughs> yep. Margarine for error. There's yeah. no margarine for error in butter sculpting. No margarine for error. That's just terrible. That's a, that's an insult to all butter related puns. They had to go margarine. Yeah. He is David Shoemaker. I'm Brian Curtis. Research by Chris Almeida. Production magic by Jim Cunningham. The official band of the Press Box is Gin Blossoms. We're back Tuesday, bright and early, with more lukewarm takes about the media. See you then, David. See you later, Brian. David... Uh, dimly aware, yes. Is not for sale. <laughs> Back when I was a kid, I used to write to celebrities and ask for autograph pictures. Uh, I had this obsession with autographs and celebrity and everything, and I wrote a note to Chuck Woolery, and he sent me back an 8x10 that said, Brian, come in here and sit down, and just, just, uh, just, it's going to be right down the middle. I mean, nothing new here. Oh, no. No, 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 no weird foods, nothing, nothing strange. Oh, no. You, you don't want to make a mistake. Brian, I'm rich enough to convince people to give me a dollar. Uh, Hope you make a love connection. Chuck Woolery. Did not go viral. <laughs>